0: Snack production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Every week in this podcast, we delve into a situation, something that is going on politically or otherwise in the world that is of an interesting nature. And there is no one better to tackle these sorts of global issues than this man, Dr. Keith Souter. couple of PhDs on the issue of international relations, uh, renowned in Australia as being a commentator on these issues for decades now. I'm the person that accompanies him. My name's Kate Mack. We've worked together for a couple of years now in TV and then radio as well. Um, Dr. Keith, today, <laughs> scary new world order.
1: Yeah. Well, this is a from a talk I gave um, Greater Dandenong, which is um, in uh, southeast southeast of, of Melbourne. It's called the Southeast Business Networks. And it's a way of encouraging the businesses outside of Melbourne in the Southeast to work together. They come up with various employment programs, educational programs, community revitalization, encouraging schools to have links with industry. And so I was asked to talk about the way in which we're seeing major changes occurring in the world. And the bottom line for me is that I think we're heading into a very different sort of world order. Now, My view about COVID, as we've looked at over the weeks on this, is that COVID-19 is accelerating trends that are already present. So it's not necessarily creating new trends, but current trends, they're speeding them up, making them faster in their coming to fruition. So I think that we're heading into uh, an emerging global order. One of the examples that I looked at is the whole question of the global supply chain. So we have developed a mentality in Western countries that we just like to do things just in time. The old days, let's take the Sydney Harbour Bridge, which is down the road from here, that was built in the 1930s and it's got plenty of redundancy built into it. In other words, plenty of fat. So it's got more rivets than it needs, more metal than it needs. And the result is that it's going to last longer than most of the buildings on either side of the harbour because it's got this built-in redundancy. In recent decades... We're getting uh, bean counters moving along who are saying, look, don't worry about all this redundancy, cut out all the fat and just rely on just in time. In other words, that instead of stockpiling a lot of medicine or protective personal equipment, you just hire it as you need it. Now, the COVID crisis has shown the weakness of that system because it means that a lot of people are running short of, in this case, important equipment which they need to combat COVID. So, It's interesting that we're now talking about a new global supply chain. The old one is that we just simply relied on everything being made, perhaps in China, which is the factory of the world. We're now reaching a point where people are saying perhaps it's unwise to place so much reliance on China as the factory of the world. It's interesting that the Indian Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, recently has said that the COVID crisis has shown that China cannot be trusted and therefore, we must engage in trade relationships which are based on trust and not on cost. So, at the moment, we have a mindset which says, "If it's go away to the cheapest place, cheapest is always best." The Indian Prime Minister is saying, "No, don't just go for the cheapest. Go for the ones where you can be where you can rely on your supplier to get you stuff." And it's
0: just interesting to note as well that in prior episodes we have gone into all the politics that's going on with China from a lot of countries around the world at the moment, particularly when it comes to trade. So this is quite a timely discussion anyway.
1: Yes, indeed. And, in fact, what the Indians have proposed and Australia and Japan are now involved in is what they call the resilient global supply chain. Um, The argument is that it's unwise to have so many of the necessary medicines which we use here in Australia made in China. We ought to be diversifying our source of supply. And so the proposal uh, with this um, resilient global supply chain initiative is between Japan, India and Australia. So Japan has got good technology and is still the world's third largest economy. So it's still a big economy. Okay, it's got declining population, all sorts of problems, but it's still a major player in economics. India has got a large, well-trained workforce and a large productive capacity. And then Australia has got plenty of resources, both the material ones and energy, but also we've got a huge wealth fund in superannuation. We've got money to invest overseas. So the argument is, therefore, that instead of being so reliant upon one provider, which is China, we diversify and build up partnerships with Japan and India. And create this resilient supply chain. And then this got me thinking about the emerging global order. So, one of the components of this emerging global order is the merging of politics and economics. Traditionally, in foreign policy, you have an element of snobbery high politics, high diplomacy is warfare. And that's conducted by people who call themselves diplomats or diplomatists, to use the old term. Wow. Low politics consists of the people who do the trading. So in other words that's the consular corps and of course business people and the Department of Trade as distinct from the Department of Foreign Affairs which deals with the high politics they're the elite they're the people who wear the striped suits etc and all the rest of it. My argument is that in fact we're going into an emerging global order where we're seeing the merging of politics and economics. So in other words for people who've got a military mindset, I just don't think that using the military is actually such an effective way of trying to settle disputes. If you look at the United States, they've not had a major military victory for many years. They have a huge military-industrial complex. They spend more money on defence than the next 12 countries combined. So they are immensely powerful, and yet they've not been able to win in Afghanistan. As you know, President Trump is trying to pull the country out of uh, Afghanistan, similarly with Iraq. Uh, they they didn't do well under President Obama in Syria. Obama also intervened in Libya, and that's been a disaster as well, which has been provided an exit door, if you like, for asylum seekers from Africa to get into Europe because Europe begins just off the coast of Libya on the island of Lampedusa. So if you can get a boat from Libya onto that island, you're in Europe. <laughs> so. What we've looked at then is the way that Bush and Obama, by using military force, actually have not improved the world. They've made it worse. Trump, to his credit, hasn't actually started any new wars, hasn't um, succeeded in, in winning any, but he hasn't lost any. He hasn't gone into a completely new combat zone. But what I find fascinating is that we see now economics and trade as being far more important for exerting a point of view. There is a a distinction that we tend to make between hard military power and soft military power. Hard military power is uh, the power to say, do as I say or I will kill you. Soft military power or soft power is the power of attraction. So Hollywood still makes the best dreams. A lot of overseas students still want to study it at Harvard or Yale. That's soft power. England has got very limited hard power but he does have the British royal family, cricket and Shakespeare and the BBC. So that's how Britain exerts its influence in the world, not by having troops stationed all over the world, but through the development of soft power. And economics is tied into that element of soft power. So that's a, a whole new era that's emerging.
0: You're listening to Global Truth with Dr. Keith Suter. Today we're talking about the scary new world order, but it is scary because it's the unknown, Keith, and that's the thing. Like we've relied on China for way too long for trade at the moment, and to to be building our things for us very cheaply, by the way. Um, a, a, but it takes time, as you say. To you know, you're, there is this call for new world order, but it would take time to establish, surely.
1: Oh, it will, and that's and we've got to start giving thought to it. You see, the, the time of greatest danger comes at the time of greatest success. When you sit back and say, we've made it, now we can relax. And that's when you let down your guard and that's when you run into problems. We have done very well out of China for too long and so we have become complacent. So my argument is we need to be looking uh, at for alternative partners, not to be anti-Chinese, but just simply to say it's in our own interest to have a wide range of suppliers and customers in the same way that China is using that same reasoning. At the moment, the Chinese are very happy to deal with Australia, but they are using their Belt and Road Initiative as a way of developing alternative suppliers of raw materials and alternative markets. They are opening up Africa. Traditionally, it was the British and the French who occupied Africa. Then we had the process of decolonization. Now it is China and India who are the two lead powers uh, going into Africa. So we see, therefore, the Chinese are developing an alternative way of thinking about economics, looking for other customers, etc. And the challenge for us in Australia is for us to think differently. We need to recognise that the emerging threats are being posed by cyber warfare and information warfare uh, rather than the risk of having uh, Chinese planes bombing Sydney. I don't think we're ever going to come to that. It's not going to be a rerun of World War II, but you might, well, as we're seeing at the moment with the Russians and others, you do have cyber warfare going on at the moment and information warfare and the whole problem of warfare in outer space. You know, we could shut down Sydney by destroying a few satellites that are floating around above our heads because if you knock those satellites out, then suddenly you knock out all the MasterCard and electricity payments, et cetera. So... That is a new form of warfare, not having large numbers of troops running around uh, in, in Europe or whatever. So we need to recognise that we have new threats posed by cyber warfare and information warfare. We need to recognise that we have to, to diversify our trading partners. That's why I'm supporting the Australian government's work on this new resilient global supply chain initiative we'll be working with Japan and India and I think we need to acknowledge that the US's global role is in relative decline, irrespective of who's going to be in the White House, <laughs> yeah. whether it be Trump or Biden. The United States is now in relative decline. We looked at that a few weeks ago with the, with the failure of the United States, very different from when I remember growing up in, in England, and you look to America as being the world leader. Now it's not.
0: If we're looking at countries to support us, Keith, in this initiative of essentially, in a way, moving away from China, not boycotting, but but certainly taking care of ourselves by looking for different people to support our needs in manufacturing. Who else is likely to join us in that kind of boycott? Not boycott, but you know what I mean, loosely.
1: I think what we have to do is to find ourselves more customers, keep an eye on Indonesia, which will be the lead power in this region by at least 2050, probably earlier. Uh, so they've got a population 10 times the size of Australia, very young, full of resources, eager to learn. So we are number one in this region. Remember John Howard thought we were the regional sheriff? Well, we're about to become the regional deputy because the sheriff will be Indonesia.
0: But what, But I mean like if in terms of, you know, we want China to back off and sort of I guess realise they've got global responsibilities because all they care about is themselves and they are quite devious you know, spying
1: and yeah. um, conducting things. But like, then we spy as well. Don't, don't put us I on know, the moral high ground. Oh, Look at how not. we behaved over East Timor We're
0: not. At the moment we're seeing the worst of China in terms of their treatment of us because we've supported an investigation into COVID, for example, um, and they're making us pay that price. So if they, we're not, again, not to be call it a retaliation, but if we realise that we we can't have that reliance on China anymore because they do turn like a snake in the grass like this, then we obviously need to, Will will there be other countries that do the same thing, do you think? In as a result of what's happened in the last couple of months with China and particularly the the outbreak of coronavirus because they're just not very popular on home fronts, do you think we'll be in good company when, when we do change track?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, countries like South Korea will obviously want to join in with us and South Korea is an interesting country to keep your eye on. So, yes, there will be other countries. The, the coronavirus has had a huge impact on China as a brand. Uh, As I say, we're already talking about the Indian Prime Minister who said, look, you should only be dealing with people on the basis of trust, not on the fact that they're the lowest cost. So there are a lot of people around the world who said, well, China has come out of this coronavirus very badly, uh, not just because it started in China, uh, but also because it's just been such a damage to China. And on top of the coronavirus crisis, COVID-19, You've also got the behaviour in Hong Kong, and you've got the treatment of the Uyghurs at the other end of the country in the far west in Xinjiang, and so you, you and of course you've got the rise to a much more aggressive in-your-face China. Deng Xiaoping, when he began the reform of China, said we're going to go very quietly and we're just going to build up lots of trade. We're here to make trade, not trouble. But now with President Xi, we get what's called wolf diplomacy, and this means that it's much more in-your-face Uh, because the Chinese are saying, look, we've been polite for too long. Now we're going to be much more abrupt in how we're dealing with people. And then you lump on top the coronavirus and the Hong Kong crisis and what's happening in Xinjiang at the far end of the country. And so, yes, there are a lot of people who are saying, well, perhaps we need to look again at at how we've had our reliance upon China. The problem for Australia is that we're also very reliant on the United States, which itself is sinking down. I think a challenge for the media is that we need to be far less obsessed with American politics and the British royal family.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's never going to happen, Keith, especially not with Trump at the helm. It's just too interesting every day. Well, it
1: is very interesting, but it's a diversion. We are spending so much time looking at Trump's antics that we are failing to keep an eye on what's going on in China, and we're not paying enough attention to India. So this is the challenge for us with this emerging global order And I think that Australia should just be thinking far more for itself and not just blindly going ahead with our ally like the United States, but we need to put Australia first and we need to work out what's going to be best for Australia. And I think that therefore means working with countries like India and Japan on this resilient supply chain initiative. That's only a small thing, that initiative, but it it shows us a way forward, I think, as part of this emerging global order.
0: Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.